Story 2 of Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1907 to 1908. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joyce Couch. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1907 to 1908, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Story 2 A Substitute Journalist. Clifford Baxter came into the sitting room where Patty was darning stockings and reading a book at the same time. Patty could do things like that. The stockings were well darned, too, and Patty understood and remembered what she read. Clifford flung himself into a chair with a sigh of weariness. Tired? queried Patty sympathetically. Yes, rather. I've been tramping about the wharves all day, gathering longshore items. But, Patty, I've got a chance at last. Tonight, as I was leaving the office, Mr. Harmer gave me a real assignment for tomorrow. Two of them, in fact, but only one of importance. I'm to go and interview Mr. Keefe on this new railroad bill that's up before the legislature. He's in town, visiting an old college friend, Mr. Reed, and he's quite big game. I wouldn't have had the assignment, of course, if there'd been anyone else to send, but but most of the staff will be away all day tomorrow to see about that mine explosion at Midbury or the Teamster strike at Bainesville, and I'm the only one available. Harmer gave me a pretty broad hint that was my chance to win my spurs, and that if I worked up a good article out of it, I'd stand a fair show of been taken on permanently next month when Elsop leaves. There'll be a shuffle all around then, you know. Everybody in the staff will be pushed up a peg, and that'll leave a vacant space at the foot. Patty threw down her darning needle and clapped her hands with delight. Clifford gazed at her admiringly, thinking he had the prettiest sister in the world. She was so bright, so eager, so rosy. Oh, Clifford, how splendid! she exclaimed. Just as we began to give up hope, too. Oh, you must get the position. You must hand in a good write-up. Think what it means to us. Yes, I know. Clifford dropped his head in his hand and stared rather moodily at the lamp. But my joy is chastened. Of course I want the permanency, since it seems to be the only possible thing. But you know my heart isn't really in the newspaper work. The plain truth is I don't like it, although I do my best. You know father always said I was a born mechanic. If only I could get a position somewhere among machinery, that would be my choice. There's one vacant in the steel and ironworks at Bancroft, but, of course, I have no chance of getting it. I know. It's too bad, said Patty, returning to her stockings with a sigh. I wish I were a boy with a foothold on the Chronicle. I firmly believe I would make a good newspaper woman, if such a thing had ever been heard of in Aylmore. That you would. You're twice as much knack in that line as I have. You seem to know by instinct just what to leave out and put in. I never do. Harmer has to blue-pencil my copy mercilessly. Well, I'll do my best with this. That is very necessary to get the permanency. For I fear our family purse is growing very slim. Mother's face has a new wrinkle of worry every day. It hurts me to see it. And me, sighed Patty. I do wish I could find something to do. 
If only we could both get positions, everything would be all right. Mother wouldn't have to worry so. Don't say anything about this chance to her until you've seen what comes of it. She'd only be doubly disappointed if nothing did. What's your other assignment? Oh, I've got to go out to Bancroft in the morning train and write up old Mr. Moreland's birthday celebration. He is a hundred years old. Going to be a presentation and speeches, that sort of thing. Nothing very exciting about it. I'll have to come back on the three o'clock train and hurry out to catch my politician before he leaves at five. Take a stroll down to meet my train, Patty. We can go out as far as Mr. Reed's house together, and the walk will do you good. The Baxters lived in Aylmer, a lively little town with two newspapers, the Chronicle and the Ledger. Between these two was a sharp journalistic rivalry in the matter of beats and scoops. In the preceding spring, Clifford had been taken on the Chronicle on trial as a sort of general handyman. There was no pay attached to the position, but he was getting training, and there was a possibility of a permanency in September if he proved his mettle. Mr. Baxter had died two years before, and the failure of the company in which Mrs. Baxter's money was invested had left the little family dependent on their own resources. Clifford, who had cherished dreams of a course in mechanical engineering, knew that he must give them up and go to the first work that offered itself, which he did staunchly and uncomplainingly. Patty, who hitherto had had no designs on a career, but had been sunnily content to be a home girl and mother's right hand, also realized it would be well to look about her for something to do. She was not really needed so far as the work of the little house went, and the whole burden must not be allowed to fall on Clifford's eighteen-year-old shoulders. Patty was a senior by a year, and ready to do her part unflinchingly. The next afternoon Patty went down to meet Clifford's train. When it came, no Clifford appeared. Patty stared about her occurring throngs in bewilderment. Where was Clifford? Hadn't he come on the train? Surely he must have, for there was no other until seven o'clock. She must have missed him somehow. Patty waited until everybody had left the station. Then she walked slowly homeward. As the Chronicle office was on her way, she dropped in to see if Clifford had reported there. She found nobody in the editorial offices except the office boy, Larry Brown, who promptly informed her that not only had Clifford not arrived, but that there had been a telegram from him saying he had missed his train. Patty gasped in dismay. It was dreadful. "'Where's Mr. Harmer?' she asked. He went home as soon as the afternoon edition came out. He left before the telegram came. He'll be furious when he finds out that nobody's gone to interview that foxy old politician, said Larry, who knew all about Clifford's assignments and its importance. Isn't there anyone else here to go? queried Patty desperately. Larry shook his head. No, there isn't a soul in. We're mighty short-handed just now, on account of the explosion and the strike. Patty went downstairs and stood for a moment in the hall, wrapped in reflection. If she'd been at home, she verily believed she would have sat down and cried. Oh, it was too bad, too disappointing. Clifford would certainly lose all chance of the permanency, even if the irate news editor did not discharge him at once. What could she do? 
Could she do anything? She must do something. Only I could go in his place, moaned Patty softly to herself. Then she started. Why not? Why not go and interview the big man herself? To be sure, she did not know a great deal about interviewing, still less about railroad bills, and nothing at all about politics. But if she did her best, it might be better than nothing, might at least save Clifford his present hold. With Patty, to decide was to act. She flew back into the reporter's room, pounced on a pencil and tablet, and hurried off, her breath coming quickly and her eyes shining with excitement. It was quite a long walk out to Mr. Reed's place, and Patty was tired when she got there, but her courage was not a whit abated. She mounted the steps and rang the bell undauntedly. Can I see Mr. 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 Patty paused for a moment in dismay. She had forgotten the name. The maid, who had come to the door, looked her over so superciliously that Patty flushed with indignation. The gentleman who is visiting Mr. Reed, she said crisply. I can't remember his name, but I've come to interview him on behalf of the Chronicle. Is he in? If you mean Mr. Reefer, he's in, said the maid quite respectfully. Evidently, the Chronicle's name carried weight in the Reed establishment. Please come to the library. I'll go to tell him. Patty had just time to set herself at the table, spread out her paper imposingly, and assume a businesslike air when Mr. Reefer came in. He was a tall, handsome old man with white hair, jet-black eyes, and a mouth that made Patty hope she wouldn't stumble on any questions he wouldn't want to answer. Patty knew she would waste her breath if she did. A man with a mouth like that would never tell anything he didn't want to tell. "'Good afternoon.' "'What can I do for you, madam?' inquired Mr. Reefer, with an air and tone of a man who means to be courteous, but has no time or information to waste. Patty was almost overcome by the madam. For a moment she quailed. She couldn't ask that masculine sphinx questions. Then the thought of her mother's pale, careworn face flashed across her mind, and all her courage came back with an inspiriting rush. She bent forward to look eagerly into Mr. Reefer's carved granite face and said with a frank smile, I have come to interview you on behalf of the Chronicle about the railroad bill. It was my brother who had the assignment, but he has missed his train and I have come in his place, because you see it is so important to us. So much depends on this assignment. Perhaps Mr. Harmer will give Clifford a permanent place in the staff if he turns in a good article about you. He is only a handyman now. I just couldn't let him miss a chance. He might never have another. And it means so much to us and Mother. Are you a member of the Chronicle staff yourself? inquired Mr. Reefer, with a shade more geniality in his tone. Oh, no, I've nothing to do with it, so you won't mind me being inexperienced, will you? I don't know just what I should ask you. So won't you please just tell me everything about the bill? And Mr. Harmer can cut out what doesn't matter? Mr. Reefer looked at Patty for a few moments, with a face about as expressive as a graven image. Perhaps he was thinking about the bill, and perhaps he was thinking what a bright, vivid, plucky little girl this was with her waiting pencil and her air that strove to be businesslike, 
and only succeeded in being eager and hopeful and anxious. I'm not used to being interviewed myself, he said slowly, so I don't know very much about it. We're both green hands together, I imagine. But I'd like to help you out, so I don't mind telling you what I think about this bill and its bearing on certain important interests. Mr. Reefer proceeded to tell her, and Patty's pencil flew as she scribbled down his terse, pithy sentences. She found herself asking questions, too, and enjoying it. For the first time, Patty thought she might rather like politics if she understood them, and they did not seem so hard to understand when a man like Mr. Reefer explained them. For half an hour he talked to her, and at the end of that time Patty was in full possession of his opinion on the famous railroad bill in all its aspects. "'There now, I'm all talked out,' said Mr. Reefer. "'You can tell your news editor that you know as much about the railroad bill as Andrew Reefer knows. I hope you'll succeed in pleasing him, and that your brother will get the position he wants. But he shouldn't have missed that train. You tell him that. Boys with important things to do mustn't miss trains.' Perhaps it's just as well he did in this case, though, but tell him not to let it happen again. Patty went straight home, wrote up her interview in ship-shape form, and took it down to the Chronicle office. There she found Mr. Harmer scowling blackly. The little news editor looked to be in a rather bad temper, but he nodded not unkindly to Patty. Mr. Harmer knew the Baxters well and liked them, although he would have sacrificed them all without a qualm for a scoop. Good evening, Patty. Take a chair. That brother of yours hasn't turned up yet. The next time I give him an assignment, he'll manage to be in time to do it. Oh, cried Patty, breathlessly. Please, Mr. Harmer, I have the interview here. I thought perhaps I could do it in Clifford's place, and I went out to Mr. Reeves and saw Mr. Reefer. He was very kind and... Mr. Who? fairly shouted Mr. Harmer. Mr. Reefer, Mr. Andrew Reefer. He told me to tell you that this article contained all he knew, thought about the railroad bill, and— But Mr. Harmer was no longer listening. He had snatched the neatly written sheets of Patty's report and was skimming over them with a practiced eye. Then Patty thought he must have gone crazy. He danced around the office, waving the sheets in the air, and then he dashed frantically up the stairs to the composing room. Ten minutes later he returned and shook the mystified Patty by the hand. Patty, it's the biggest beat we ever had. We've scooped not only the ledger, but every other newspaper in the country. How did you do it? How did you ever beguile or bewitch Andrew Reefer into giving you an interview? Why, said Patty, in utter bewilderment, I just went out to Mr. Reed's and asked for the gentleman who was visiting there. I'd forgotten his name. And Mr. Reefer came down, and I told him my brother had been detailed to interview him, on behalf of the Chronicle about the bill, and that Clifford had missed his train, and wouldn't he let me interview him in his place and excuse my inexperience? And he did. Was an Andrew Reefer I told Clifford to interview? laughed Mr. Harmer. It was John C. Keith. I didn't know Reefer was in town, but even if I had, I wouldn't have thought it a particular use to send a man to him. He's never consented to be interviewed before on any known subject and he's been especially close-mouthed about this bill, although men from all the big papers in the country have been after him. He's notorious on that score. Why, Patty, it's the biggest journalistic fish that has ever been landed in this office, 
Andrew Reefer's opinion on the bill will have a tremendous influence. We'll run the interview as a leader in a special edition that is underway already. Of course, he must have been ready to give the information to the public, or nothing would have induced him to open his mouth. But to think we should be the first to get it. Patty, you're a brick. Clifford came home on the seven o'clock train, and Patty was there to meet him, brimful of her story. But Clifford also had a story to tell, and got his word in first. Now, Patty, don't scold to hear why I missed the train. I met Mr. Peabody of the Steel and Iron Company at Mr. Moreland's and got into conversation with him. When he found out who I was, he was greatly interested and said Father had been one of his best friends when they were in college together. I told him about wanting to get the position in the company, and he had me go right out to the works and see about it. And, Patty, I have the place. Goodbye to the grind of newspaper items and fillers. I tried to get back to the station at Bancroft in time to catch the train, but I couldn't. And it's just as well, for Mr. Keith was suddenly summoned home this afternoon, and when the 3.30 train from town stopped at Bancroft, he was on it. I found that off, and I got on, going to the next station with him, getting my interview after all. Here it is in my notebook. And I must hurry up to the office and hand it in. I suppose Mr. Harmer will be very much vexed until he finds out that I have it. Oh, no. Mr. Harmer is in very good humor, said Patty with dancing eyes. Then she told her story. The interview with Mr. Reefer came out with glaring headlines, and the Chronicle had its hour of fame and glory. The next day Mr. Harmer sent word to Patty that he wanted to see her. So Clifford is leaving, he said abruptly when she entered the office. Well, do you want his place? Mr. Harmer, are you joking? demanded Patty in amazement. Not I. That stuff you handed in was splendidly written. I didn't have to use the pencil more than once or twice. You have the proper journalistic instinct, all right. We need a lady on the staff anyhow, and if you'll take the place, it's yours for saying so, and the permanency next month. I'll take it, said Patty, promptly and joyfully. Good. Now go down to the symphony club rehearsal this afternoon and report it. You got just ten minutes to get there, and Patty joyfully and promptly departed. End of the Substitute Journalist